back, even though it's gotten really weird and weirder than normal. CSI is back, and so I'm happy. But well, one of the things that happened with the writer's strike is that it, it dredged up a lot of new shows that they had to they had to bring on. And, and I'm not talking about the reality shows. I'm really not interested in the stars' hidden talents that are coming up. I don't want to see boxers sing. Uh, but but um, the one the one show that that I did see that I enjoyed have enjoyed along the way is a show called New Amsterdam. Has anybody seen that? New Amsterdam. It's about a guy, a, a New York detective named John Amsterdam. And, and everything is like a New York detective type show. The same formula thing goes through, except for the fact that he's 400 years old. And, and it's very plausible. It's very plausible because when, when Manhattan was being, was being founded, he was saving a Native American and he got shot or something. And then a shaman said, you're going to live until you find your true love. Okay, so I, I so it's not plausible, but it's kind of funny. Um, and so it shows him never getting old, and he goes through these series of uh, time frames, never getting old, living immortal until he living immortally until he finds his true love. Uh, the problem is he never gets old, and the people he marries, the children he fathers, the friendships he makes, all they all do get old. At one point, a couple of weeks ago, he was. It showed him in the early part of the last century, and he was an alcoholic in in New York City, and and he was befriended by a guy who said, "When you're ready, I'm a fellow struggler. When you're ready, you can come to this meeting." And he gave him the AA coin, and and it showed him them making progress in Alcoholics Anonymous, and then later on doing the same the same type of work in another guy's life, reaching into him saying. When you're ready, I'm two steps ahead, and there's a lot more to life than you know of, and you want to be a part of this. Well, what's that got to do with church and all the rest? It has a lot to do with where Antioch is in the study of 1 Peter. Uh, because, because Peter is like John Amsterdam. Not in that he lived a 400-year life, but in that he's a fellow struggler. And what Peter says very clearly is, I am two steps ahead of you. And when you're ready to grab the next step and make progress in your faith, I want to stand and encourage you. Because today is your turn. It's like a baton being handed off. It's your turn to move ahead. Uh, I like First Peter. I'm glad this is the third in the series. And, and as much as we might like the idea of never having to face death, like in John Amsterdam. The reality is, Scripture says, and our experience proves, that we live once, we die once, and then we set ourselves up for an eternity, which is real life. And the eternity is either going to be in the presence of God or away from God. The choices we make here will determine our faith for the rest of eternity. And Peter says, it's essential that you understand what's happening. And the book is so practical, for, especially for a young group that's meeting together, and Antioch is still relatively young, and some of you are young in your faith journey, that it's a great process, that a uh, great book to be able to process through together. So we're going to dive into the next piece, but before we do, let's join our hearts in prayer. Father God, it's good to know that you, it's good to know that you love us enough that you have opened up a way for us to experience true life. Wonderful to know as we sang that you will chase us, 
and you will love us regardless of what, how we behave. That our standing in your eyes, once we're in faith, is not determined on our behavior, but on our relationship. And I pray now that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we could see the truth from Scripture, so that we could make another step in that faith journey, so that we could move forward. Lord, we love you, and we're trying to love you better, and we're trying to, to live our lives more fully so that we can make an impact in our lives, in the lives of others. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, see, he said it's our turn, and I like, I like Peter because if you don't know much about Bible stuff, Peter was the apostle, one of the guys who followed Jesus around, and he's known as the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Because every chance he got, he stepped in it, and he ended up, and he ended up messing up. He was just a fisherman. He was a blue-collar, working-class guy. Jesus called him, and, and some other fellows will follow him for three years and change. He follows Jesus around, and he hears all the stories. And he is larger than life. He's loud, he's boisterous, he's strong, he's a, he's a working man. And he says, Jesus, even though everybody else is going to bail on you, I won't leave. Remember that? I'm not going to take off. As soon as Jesus is arrested, he's standing around a warming fire. They're wondering what's going to happen. A servant girl comes up. You're with Jesus, aren't you? Three times, right? Three times he says, not a chance. Not me. Ends up swearing at the girl. Go away. I, it's not me. you got the wrong guy. You save his own hide. He is not the classic guy that you would set up on a pedestal. Later on, after Jesus is resurrected, the church is founded, the thing is growing, Jesus, Peter is, is kind of running the tightrope between the Jew and non-Jew church, which, what way is this church going to be? And in the middle of Acts, he's confronted because he's playing both sides of the street. And he, so he, he's a fellow struggler. I like Peter because I screw up on a regular basis. My wife's sitting right over there. You can visit with her later and she'll verify that completely. But Peter says, Peter says to the folks that he's writing to, I'm not that much farther ahead, and you and I are involved in a great chase. And, and projected out, he's saying the same thing to you and me. You and I are involved in a great chase to do good for our community and to know God in a way that, that only Jesus could pull off. To live for good and for God. So let's recap for a little bit about 1 Peter. So far, so far, the, the first thing is, Peter's writing to newer believers. This is Later on in the first century, after uh, the first century of the modern era, there's going to be a, a, an empire-wide ban by Nero that bans Christianity. This is pre-ban time, late 60s in the current era. And, and, but these believers are getting kicked around. They're socially ostracized. They're being arrested. They're still in cult-like status. They're, they're in a hard strait. And he's, and he's basically saying, you need to have a very clear picture of your standing with God, the way you're called to, both to behave in that standing, in the midst of this opposition, and then where it's going to lead. And over and over, the backdrop is, this is a hard life. Your inheritance is in heaven. This is a challenging time. It's promised to you there. This is a hard place where you're at, but it will get better. So he said that. And then he also says, he tells them that this is all part of something a whole lot bigger than themselves. A whole lot bigger. 
If you remember last week, Kim was writing and he, uh, Kim was reading uh, the first part of, of chapter one. He says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." He's called us. He says, "To an obtained inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and won't fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God." Nothing can shake that relationship that you have with Jesus once it's established. Nothing. No job loss, no divorce, no abandonment, no dirty dog dealing. Nothing can separate you from that inheritance. But he never promises that life is going to be easy. Because he says this in the last piece. The thing he says, the folks are fragile. The folks are fragile. But... But the salvation that you've inherited, that you've been given. He said in the very first line of the book, he says, you guys are aliens in your land. You don't fit. But God is there. You're fragile, but your salvation is unshakable and precious and worth all the trouble. And that's what Kim was talking about last week. That in the midst of that understanding of that salvation, that, that transformation that's happened from the inside out, you have freedom to be joyful. Freedom to live your life with abandon for good and for God. Well, what happens is, that goes down to like verse 10, and verse 9, and then verses 10, 11, and 12, he kind of broadens the scope. Let me read it to you, and then I'll make a couple comments before we dump into something else. He says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would be brought to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ for the glories to follow. And it was revealed to them. So these guys, the prophets of the Old Testament, they're looking, looking, looking. When, who, where. And they're finding clues here and there in the Old Testament. And then they say, he says in verse 12, and it was revealed to them that they weren't serving themselves, but you his readers, and you, and me. In these things which have now been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And these are things in which angels long to look. Bottom line is this. Peter starts with a very clear picture. You guys are in a hard place. You're out of sync with your culture and your friends when you say, I hook up with Jesus. I work in this building, smallest of the three high schools, but still we have 1,350 kids. Great place, great place to work, and I've marinated in the youth culture. And I see the evidence of fathers and mothers and children in the kids that I see come streaming through the doors every day. And I see the believing kids, and they're a little bit out of sync with the rest. And that's normal and natural. And it's like, it, when, a, when a believing kid says, I, I just don't feel like I fit. Exactly. When a staff member comes who's, who's a person of faith, and they say, boy, some of the choices we make and the decisions and the ways we go just don't quite see. Exactly. It's not meant to. You and I are travelers. We're aliens. We're not... We're not meant to put down deep roots here, but, he, but what Peter says is that we're chasing a salvation that's been given to us that's going to be fulfilled later. And in the meantime, you live differently. 
in the meantime, you give yourself the freedom to be different than your culture. You're like the, you go out to Shevlin Park and you look at the Tumalo Creek going through and occasionally, especially this time of year when the water's raised up, sometimes stuff gets washed downstream and you'll see a stick that gets stuck into the bedrock, into the, into the rocks and gravel. And it's, it's just sitting there like this in the stream and getting beat up by the waves. That's the way sometimes believers feel in the world. You've chosen a place. This is where I stand. And you're just going against the culture. So the rest of the book is going to be talking about your relationship with the government, with your marriage, with your employers, the way you have hope when people are banging on your doors, all those kinds of things. And he starts off in verse 13. That's not verse 13. That's Caesar Milan. He's one of my heroes. Starts off in verse 13. He says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, we'll get to Caesar in a minute. But, but the therefore is critical. Whenever you read the scriptures, and you know this, you come across a so then or a therefore, that's a concluding statement, obviously. And you look right back and he says, Because you have this thing so valuable, because it's sure and rock solid, not going anywhere, give yourself the freedom to live differently. Now, I know last week, I was, I poked in a little bit last week, and then uh, I, I visited with Ken since then, and I know what he talked about, the, the dangers of legalism and, and giving yourself the freedom to live life with joy. This is kind of the other side of the coin a little bit. Because what Peter says is, as much freedom as we have, we need to be people who are on a mission. We need to be people heading in a direction. People of convictions and standards and morals. We need to be people who stand out, distinct, not just like part of it. So he says, therefore, in light of everything you have, he says, therefore, gain control of your thought life. Now, my daughter and son-in-law bought a puppy. And puppy is, I think, ADD. <laughs> right, buddy? Puppy is, uh, puppy is seriously hyper. And so my daughter, being a college graduate and knowing all the known wisdom of the universe, said, uh, said Caesar Milan is the guy. Has anybody seen the dog whisperer? Come on. Caesar Milan, I mean, he's made fun of on South Park, I know that, made fun of on Saturday Night Live. But Caesar Milan is great. And so we moxied him, right? So now, whenever we have a spare moment, we're watching Caesar Milan and the crazy Pomeranian. You know, we're watching Caesar Milan. I watched one this morning with Caesar Milan helping mail carriers with biting dogs. And it's all about becoming the pack leader. He runs a dog rescue psychology thing, some crazy nut job LA joint. And, and it's all, and he's got all these dogs. And it's all about being the pack leader. It's all about being the, and he says, it's all about posture. And you're the pack leader. And dogs, are gonna, dogs don't care about what they did yesterday or what they're going to do tomorrow. They live in the moment. And you're just the pack leader of the moment. And, and you take control of the situation. And I'm just laughing like crazy watching my daughter try to do that with a hyperactive puppy. Uh, but the same principle is true with yours and my life. We need to be the pack leader. I know I need to be the pack leader. Because sometimes I go toward things with my mind 
that I know I shouldn't be at. And verse 13 is all about mental activity. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully. Those three aspects are all about mental activity. And it's all talking about being proactive with it. The first phrase there, set to prepare your minds for action, talks about you do that with anticipation. Anticipation. You prepare. Another version said, gird your minds for action. The idea is, is from a from an activity in guys in the Middle East, you've probably heard this illustration before, but had, had long robes, and when they knew they had to fight or flee, knew they had to have action, they would gird up their loins, and they would do it in two ways. One is much more fun than the other. One thing they would do, they would just pull their robes up, and they would stuff it in into their belts, so it made like a big, giant, poofy kind of skirt, right? But they could, but they could run and go and fight. The other one's better. They would reach between their legs and grab the back and pull it up and stuff it in the front of their belt like this, made a giant diaper. I kind of like that picture better. But that's called girding up your loins. I'm ready to go. You, you don't do that in the middle of a fight. Time out. Time out. Time out. Okay. You do that when you see it in advance. You do that when you know it's coming. You need to be the pack leader of your mind and take charge of your thought life as you prepare for your mental challenges that derail your spiritual growth. You have them. I have them. Chances are the whites might have them, and we can all tell them what they are. Those things that make you stumble. The pornography, man. The pride, the overconfidence, the lack of confidence, the non-clinical, just blues-type depressions, the greed, the envy, whatever it is, you know those mental challenges that derail you spiritually. The lack of investment in your relationships, those things that you feel that creep up and you know they're coming. What Peter is saying is, be better, take charge of your mind. Be the pack leader. I'm not going there. Gird up your loins for action. Set your mind already. It's a, it's a call toward knowing yourself and understanding those indicators that, that bring us to the place where we stumble. Know it in advance. So you've got to be a student of yourself. So he says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. That's the idea if you do that with focus. You take charge of your mind with focus. It's, there, there's another version that says, be sober in spirit. Now, I've met plenty of believers who are sober in spirit. It looks like they've been weaned on a dill pickle. <laughs> you know, they're sober to the point that you're like, time out. That's what it's talk, talking about. This is talking about being self-controlled, not letting yourself be swept up in a moment. I didn't know what was happening, so I ended up in this relationship, ended up drunk and face down in the gutter, ended up wherever it is. Be self-controlled. The opposite of self-control is out of control. I've been out of control. I don't like it. There's a feeling of being out of control. There's a feeling of insecurity that goes along with that. So Peter says, because you have this great salvation that's yours, 
Be the pack leader of your mind. Understand in advance, with anticipation, where you might stumble. Be ready for that. Be ready to counter it. Second thing, be self-controlled. Kind of set boundaries for yourself. Don't allow that enthusiasm for the minute to be carrying you away. Here's a real practical example. When you're dating singles, you don't wait until the blood is racing to decide how far you're going to go. Done. It's over. It's over. You're self-controlled. You, you don't put yourself in positions where you might find yourself stumbling. So he says, therefore, because you have all this salvation going on, prepare your minds for action. Be ready with anticipation. Be self-controlled. With focus, have that mind taking charge of your thought life. And then the third thing is, you set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And you take control with confidence. With confidence. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is a settled decision of the ultimate outcome based on the character of God. Some of you have heard from the it was most recently talked about in the book Good to Great, the Stockdale Paradox. Adam, uh, Admiral Stockdale was a uh, Navy flyer and he was shot down. He was in the Hanoi Hilton. And they asked him, who died? Who died in the Hanoi Hilton? And he said, well, it was the optimists. The optimists didn't survive. The ones who said in October, we'll be out by Christmas. Then we'll be out by Easter. Then we'll be out by summer. They kept being disappointed. And he said, who, they asked him then, who survived? And he said it was, it was the people who never questioned the ultimate outcome, but at the same time were willing to face the brutal facts. The brutal facts are, I'm in Hanoi Hilton. I'm in a prisoner of war camp that is out from beyond the control. That's the brutal fact. The brutal fact I may be beaten. The brutal fact is I may not survive. But I never doubt the ultimate outcome in my country and my patriotism. We roll that over to faith. It's an easy correlation. You and I face a hard life at times. And believe it or not, we have it pretty dang easy in America. But the internal struggles, the relational challenges, those kind of things that we face over and over, it makes it hard. Face the brutal facts. Don't say, oh, God's going to be good and it'll all go away. You have the job. The bills are due. But never doubt the ultimate outcome. God is not going to allow me to flip, slip through the cracks. My inheritance in Him is solid. That's great news. So hope is that idea that you face life and that you gain control of your mind with that confidence. The end is sure. The path isn't. The end is certain. The in-between is undetermined. So, don't fix your hope on getting a job. Don't fix your hope on getting what you want. Fix your hope on God, and you'll be much better off. He's on the line. If you haven't seen him, you, know, you need to see him. So the verses go on from there. The, so the first thing is we challenge, we uh, take control of our thought life. The second one is 
in verses 14 and 15 in chapter 1, he says, As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. This is a pretty interesting one because it's a uh, it's, it's the idea of living and learning like children of faith. Think about kids. Healthy, happy kids. Their life is filled with the joy of discovery. Every day is that aha experience. You remember it. You see it. You have kids. It's one of the great delights of being a parent. It's all about exploration. It's all about, about knowing Learning first time the rules of the road, finding boundaries, what's in, what's out, and then seeing how close I can get to the edge before I really am out. Human nature. We, we just do that. The danger is, is when we live and learn like children, and we seek those boundaries, and then we say, well, that's out, and this is in, the danger is we begin to formalize those boundaries. Because it's easier. This is good, that's bad. This is right, that's wrong. And, and sometimes they're not black and white issues, they're shades of gray. When we take that to the adult world, in the world of faith, that's where that idea of legalism comes in. That's where that idea is, uh, I know where I am based on the scorecard, I, scorecard that I've kept. I, I, I just simply go down. I'm measured by the things that I don't do and the things that I've chosen to stay away from. And I know if I don't do those things, then I'll be just fine. Legalism is, is simply a bunch of rules with the intent to be like God, but it ends us up in a place where we're not like God at all. i got to tell you, I know Ken talked about legalism yet on last week, but I've never met a legalist. Never met one. Never met one who said, yep, I'm a legalist. You bet. You bet. I got my room. I, I met people who honestly want to be close to God. Honestly don't want to be contaminated by the society. Honestly want to be better. But what they've erred in is by, instead of having that being a dynamic process of everything being questioned, everything being being evaluated, they've allowed it to disintegrate into just simply a list of do's and don'ts. And I know where I stand based on my scorecard. The, the idea of legalism comes from, comes from the idea of law, not grace. It comes from the idea of human traditions, not the Word of God. It comes from the idea of outside parameters to try to affect the inside person rather than the inside person being transformed to have those Maybe those same behaviors, those same choices. Legalism says, if I put on this code of behaviors, I will be like God. Because I really want to be that way. Problem is, when you put on that code, you become imprisoned by those behaviors. And you're stuck. It micromanages life. So, think with me. Some of you folks grew up in a church that may have been more structural. Anybody remember a time when when um, you, your faith life would be challenged or questioned if you smoke or drink. My dad was a smoker, died of uh, And I think it's a filthy, disgusting habit. We were in Montana, and a uh, little church we were attending, and 
And my dad came to visit one time and he smoked like a chimney. And uh, stepped outside the church and felt like, well, he felt like uh, so out of place. I was almost going to say something that was really rude that my dad used to say. Actually, one time, uh, I can't say it. And he threw it out of the church. And, and a friend, John Peterson, knew he was a smoker. We're in a little tiny storefront church, middle of nowhere, Montana. And we're standing out there, and John, John comes up to my dad, and my dad's really jonesing for a smoker. Big time. First of all, he barely darkened the door of a church, and, and so he went, and now he really needs it. And, and John comes up to him and says, Hey, Ray, you got a cigarette? Powerful impact. Powerful impact in my dad's life. Stood outside, French Town Community Church, having a cigarette. Oh, you should have seen the looks. It was great. <laughs> Smoking, drinking, card playing, movies. I can't imagine anybody liking the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I'm a Blues Brothers fan myself. Uh, what else would be on the list? Long hair for men, short hair for women. Rules we say, this is going to make you holy, or this is an evidence of your holiness that has nothing to do with it. Now, could you have them come to the same conclusions, listen to this, could we come to the same conclusions, but not have it be legalism? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't smoke. I think it's a disgusting, filthy habit. I watched my dad die a painful, emphysemic death because of it. But, and so I don't smoke because I think it's a filthy, disgusting habit. My dad was also an alcoholic. So I'm really careful about how much I drink. <coughs> I really like beer. But, uh, <laughs> on my Wheaties. <laughs> but, it doesn't come from me not drinking too much because it's going to make me holy. It comes from, it doesn't fit with who I am. That's the test, men women. It doesn't fit with who you're becoming. So I'm going to choose not to go and do X. I'm going to choose and not have that activity Y. Because it's from the inside out. It's transformative. And he said, as obedient children, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the formal evil desires you had when you were ignorant. Obedient children to great parents, they mimic. They explore. They, they want to comply. They want to behave. Not to be, not to be, uh, not to gain approval. But they do it because it's like dad. It's like mom. They, they want to, when we were in Montana again, we had a friend named Dan Lake. And Dan was this big old tall drink of water and he was a diesel mechanic, and he was just rough as the country was, and, and, and just a great guy. And he had, he always wore his ropers and his Wrangler jeans, and his, his waist was about to here, you know, and he was a giant guy. And he had this little boy. And I remember vividly to this day, seeing Dan walk in, and Dan would walk kind of like this. And, and he'd walk in like this, and he'd hitch up his pants, and we saw, what was the kid's name, was it Brian? Brian. And Brian, Brian comes walking, he's about, you know, two foot nothing. And he comes walking in just like that. And he's got one eye on Dad. And it's all about the love he had for his father and the imitation he was going to... And you know what? Brian has turned out to be just like Dad. 
a good Montana working class guy. That's what imitation is. That's what an obedient child does. They look to the father, they look to the mother, and they have dress-up day because mommy does this way, and she puts on her makeup, and it's all smeared. The first time through, it's a disaster. And the little guy says, I want to pound a nail like my dad. And so he ends up pounding nails into the molding casing of the window. <laughs> and, and, but he's going to be like dad. It's, it's, it's try and failure, and there's a cycle that happens. There's a cycle of instruction by modeling and word, and then action on the kid's part, and then there's correction from the parent, and then there's growth, and then the cycle just loops and loops and loops with you and your kids and God and you. It's not a matter of you saying, if I'm really a Christian, I have to give up. It's a matter of saying, this is who I am. This is who I am now. This activity doesn't fit with that anymore. Stuff starts to drop off. And it's not a struggle. Friendships that take you one way or the other, you start evaluating and say, yeah, it doesn't fit. And you're just not available. And all of a sudden, it's gone away. It's not a matter of saying, now, now sometimes there are things that are dangerous and wrong that you just have to make a break with. But it always is from the inside out. So that loop of instruction and action, correction, growth, and then repeating it. And the goal, the goal is always, just as, just as he who called you was holy, be holy in all you do. Just as he's holy, be holy in all you do. It's about imitation. Coram Deo, living in the presence of God. It's the, it's the idea that I'm in this shadow. I can't do anything else but be like God. you got a custom habit. Uh, is it really a God-like thing? No. Are you going to lose your salvation because you dropped the F-bomb once in a while? No. Does it make God look good? No. Is it something you want to wean yourself off of? Yep. That's the evaluation. It's not a matter of good Christians don't drop the F-bomb. <laughs> or good Christians don't smoke or drink. What about C.S. Lewis? What about Francis Schaeffer? What about Martin Luther? Wrote a great book, Table Talk, about his discussions with his students in a tavern. You can't make rules of one size fits all and this is how a Christian is measured. That's not what it is. At the same time, some of you and me right in front of the line need to evaluate and challenge our choices to know exactly where to challenge our choices to know exactly where we stand and are we heading in one direction or another. And don't fool yourself that just because I'm in Christ, my life will be blessed if I continue to live like I'm not. You and I are called to be holy in all our behavior. But not saying, here's my list, I'm going to patchwork together this cloak and put it on, and now I'm holy. That's wrong. It's, as I get closer and closer to the Father, I'm more like Brian and Dan Lake. I get closer and closer to Jesus, and I find myself acting more and more like Him. And reaching out to people like Him. And some things just don't fit. That's where you have to challenge your choices, men and women, to see what you're doing in your life. It's as individual as every person here. 
Don't you dare go to your spouse, to your friend, to your neighbor, and say, that's not your place. At the same time, Proverbs tells us, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Jim Kelly knows me well enough to know that if he starts seeing me go sideways in some significant way, he's a friend of mine who will come and say, hey, Al, what the heck's going on? You've lost your edge. We need some friction and heat. So it's individual, but at the same time we're, we're held to hold each other up. You have the freedom. The challenge is, is this the best thing for me to be doing? Simple as that. That's your test. The last verse in this section goes like this. He says, go ahead and roll that. He says, be holy because I am holy. And this is the idea of, of keeping your eye on the target. Keeping your eye on the target. Be holy because I'm holy. He doesn't say be holy so that you will be holy. He doesn't say be holy because it's what I expect for you as a believer. He said it's all about imitation. It's becoming like Jesus is your goal. That's what the goal is. The goal isn't to gain approval from God. The goal isn't to, to have this outside-in transformation that will somehow change my heart. It's a matter that your heart is a new creation. And now the whole process of joyful discovery and exploration, just like an obedient child is, what's that look like? That's the process for the rest of your life and mine. What's it look like to be this thing called Christian? What's it look like to be this new person in Jesus that can reach out to people who have real needs just like I have real needs? I put this picture on there because summer, one of the summers in college when I went to Oregon State, the mother of all universities, bless her holy name. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I was over at... Uh, Oregon State, mother in law. When I was there, I worked for a week, a week rancher out in eastern Washington. And before harvest, they would do, it was dry land wheat ranching, and so you had fallow and planted, and they would just alternate. And before harvest came along, he had the summer crew, we, we did what was called rod weeding. This huge gang of, of weeders uh, that rotated a rod just underneath the surface and kicked up all the, the dirt and silt and all the rest. And our tractor that I ran didn't have a cabin, so you were still covered with dust the whole day. And, and it was really kind of fun because you're a college guy and dirty and on a tractor. And how much better is it get, right? And, uh, and so I'm out there doing this, and I found myself trying to draw a straight line with a, with a 60-foot gang of rod weeders behind the tractor. And, and you're paying attention, you're trying to go straight. And, and I would invariably wander, and every time you wandered, you'd leave a void, and then weeds would grow up there and be a problem. And, and the, the way I discovered that I could finally draw a straight line was, I asked, I asked the guy who had hired us, the rancher, and he said, what you need to do is pick out a silo, a tree, a fence post, a house, way out. Find that and just lock onto that, and don't lose the target. And don't pay attention to where you are. And you're going to head straight forward. And it worked. And so I would just make laps back and forth to this silo to that house, to this tree to that fence post, and back and forth. And, and more and more of a straight line plowing. The fence post for us, the silo, the site point for us, is God. Be holy 
That's our, that's our challenge. Why? Because. Not in order to gain favor, but be holy because I'm holy. You're meant to be like me. Focus on me and your behaviors will follow. It's not outside in. It's inside out. It's about a process. A lifelong process of growing into what God says we already are. It's a lifelong process of, of understanding that we are aliens and strangers in this land. We don't quite fit that we've been given an inheritance because Jesus is so great and gave his life for us. It's about a process that now begins where we say, I'm on this faith journey. My goal this year is to be three steps further down the trail. God sometimes jumpstarts us. God sometimes stalls us. My challenge is to be soft and sensitive to what he's talking to me about. First Peter is a great book for you guys. It's going to be an awesome journey as you look what faith, as you explore what faith looks like in street leather, in street shoes. But men and women, this morning I want to challenge you to gain control of your thought life. You know where you stumble. I want to challenge you to become the pack leader. Don't let your mind drift that way. Rein it in. You're the leader. That new man in you, that new woman in you, you be the person. You're not a slave to your mind. Challenge your choices. I'm doing this. Is it simply out of habit? Or is it really in tune with who I am in Jesus? And then never lose sight of the target. Never lose sight of the, the ultimate goal, and that's to be like Jesus. People you work with, people you live with, people you bump into. Make progress. It's our turn. It's our turn. We're not John Amsterdam who's going to live forever. You only have this one time. You were talking about how fun it is to stay up late getting right out of college. I'm what? Old. There will be a day when you will be what? Old. It's your turn. Don't waste a day. Father God, it's good to know that you want us to mature in Christ even more so than we do. I pray your blessing on this church. I pray your blessing on the folks who come here that, that they would be able to speak the name of Jesus so clearly in this community that it would be uh, people would be marveling. What's different about those folks? And understand that the love of God washing over their lives. Father God, I pray that you would transform us so that we might know what it means to really walk with you. All God's people said? Amen.